so what I'd like to do this morning <clears throat> is look at the subject of Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. <clears throat> well, in the Old Testament, there are three groups of people <clears throat> that stand out in terms of their office. Uh, I guess you'd call it an office. The place they held in the nation of Israel. And those three groups would be the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And by office, I mean their function, their position they held in society. Those were three great positions, the prophet, priest, and king. <clears throat> the prophet was a person who represented God before man. You might say he was God's representative, one who God had authorized to speak on his behalf. They were there to speak for God to men. And often they would begin their pronouncements with something like, Thus saith the Lord. They were speaking, but they were speaking for God. So, that's a prophet. The priest, by way of contrast, was one who was authorized to represent men before God. He was a mediator between God and man, acting on man's behalf. He would offer sacrifices and make intercession on behalf of sinners. So that was a priest. The priest was to represent the people before God, whereas the prophet was to represent God before the people. And then this last office was the office of king. That's probably one that we're maybe more familiar with, uh, even though we don't have too many kings around the world anymore. Uh, we know that a king is a ruler, the one who's in charge of a nation uh, who had the power and the authority over the government. He ruled over the people as God's representative. Examples uh, from the Bible, from the Old Testament, of course, would be someone like King David or King Solomon. Israel's kings ran the government, they led the army, and they ruled and defended the people. So in the Old Testament, you have those three offices, and they were usually kept separate. The same person could not perform all three offices. Uh, once in a while, you'd see a king that was also a prophet, like David. But you also see, saw kings that got into trouble by trying to be priests. So... Generally, they were kept separate. Um, now, as you read through the Old Testament, there's many notable prophets, priests, and kings. Some of them are notable because they were good. Some of them are notable because they were so bad, uh, and even false prophets sometimes. But there were indications there in the Old Testament that God was preparing the people for one great righteous individual who would come and would have all three offices at the same time. In fact, this coming one would be the preeminent, the perfect, the permanent prophet, priest, and king. So what I'd like to do is just look just briefly here at a few scriptures telling of this coming prophet, priest, and king. First of all, Moses, who was a prophet himself, probably the first major prophet, predicted that someone 
in the future, sometime another prophet like himself would come. He says this in Deuteronomy 18:15. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. And then a little bit later, God says of that prophet, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak them all, and he will speak to them all that I have commanded him. In other words, everything that God tells this prophet, he's going to speak to the people. Uh, His word would be God's word. And he goes on to say, it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak, this person that's coming, he's going to speak my words, he'll do it. And if you don't listen to him, he said, I myself will require it of him. In other words, you're going to be in trouble if you don't listen to this prophet, for sure. So, a, a prophecy related to a coming prophet. And then, related to him being a priest, Uh, Why don't we turn to this psalm, because this is such an important one. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. This psalm is quoted many times in the New Testament. In fact, counting indirect quotes, somebody estimated that it's quoted 25 times in the New Testament. So that's uh, a lot for a section of scripture in the Old Testament. In Psalm 110, verse 4, we learn about a person. You know, this is a messianic psalm, meaning that the Jewish people recognize this as speaking something related to this coming Messiah. But there's a mysterious reference to a person in this psalm who's both king and priest. But we'll look at the priest part first here in verse 4. 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now this Melchizedek, you know, was a uh, strange, kind of uh, mysterious person brought up back in Genesis chapter 14, just, just briefly, just a few verses. But here there's a, a prophecy related to this coming uh, Messiah that he would be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So you see uh, a coming priest that's predicted, but in this same psalm, and, and Melchizedek himself was both a priest and a king. If you look back in the account there in, in Genesis 14, you see that he was a king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. So there's a king and a priest together, which is very rare in the Old Testament. But in this psalm, we see this also. If you uh, look up in verse uh, 1, the Lord says to my Lord, now this is David speaking, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. In other words, he's going to be a ruler. He's going to, be, he's going to have the strong scepter. He's going to subdue his enemies. They're going to be made a footstool for his feet. In other words, this, this priest, uh, who's going to be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, is also 
a king. So this is a, you know, I'm sure the Jewish people looked at this psalm and wondered, what, what does this mean? In fact, when Jesus came, he questioned the Jewish people, the, the uh, scribes and Pharisees especially, said, what's this mean? You know, he wanted them to think about this because this is an, an incredible prophetic uh, section here related to the coming Messiah being both a priest and a king. And, of course, you see even clearer references to this coming king in other places in the Old Testament. For instance, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. What's that mean? That means he's going to be in charge of the government. It's going to rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne, there was the throne idea, the king idea, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. There again is the idea of him being a king to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from then on and forever. So here again you get this idea of there's a coming king. He's going to be king forever. Just like this coming uh, priest after the order of Melchizedek. There are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In other words, here's this permanent one, this preeminent one that God is sending. A prophet, a priest and a king. Well, those are just a few examples from the Old Testament of a coming prophet, priest, and king. You you could go on and on with those type of verses. But I want to turn now to the New Testament because in the New Testament we see that Jesus Christ is the one who those scriptures were speaking about. So, for instance... He is the great prophet. Christ is the great prophet. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. Here's the great prophet. There's been many of them in the past, but now God is sending the great prophet, his Son. He was the great revealer of divine truth. Christ was. He was not merely a messenger of God uh, or a messenger of God's word like all the other prophets. He was himself the source of revelation. He was the word of God. Uh, Rather than saying, thus saith the Lord, he says, truly, truly, I say to you. It was through his life and his words, that God's message was delivered in its fullest and clearest manner. The message of redemption was fully communicated to mankind. He was and is the light of the world. His life is the light of men. He is the great prophet. He reveals God to us and speaks God's words perfectly and clearly. To us. In fact, that's what he said in John 17. He was uh, speaking to his disciples there. Let me just read a couple verses here. This is that great uh, priestly high prayer that he uh, gave right before the crucifixion. And in John 17, he says this. Verse 8 says, 
the words which thou gavest me, speaking of the Father, the words which the Father gavest me, I have given to them. In other words, what God has said, I've said to you. And then a little later on, he says again in verse 14, I have given them thy word. So here is the great prophet giving God's word. He's, he's not just the, the great prophet, he's the greatest prophet. The final prophet, uh, the promised perfect prophet. And then in the New Testament, we also see him presented as our great high priest. On the cross, he takes away the sins of God's people and continually intercedes for them. That's what a priest would do, intercedes for them and takes away their sins. He's representing man before God. He is, in fact, really, both high priest and sacrifice wrapped up in one. The the temple sacrifices and the priesthood were all fulfilled in Christ. We're told in Hebrews chapter 6, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, there's that. There's that verse that we saw back in the Psalms, that, you know, that mysterious verse about Melchizedek. Well, here it is. Here we're told. He is the one. He's this high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he fulfills the scriptures related uh, to us back there in Psalm 110. And then in Hebrews 7.26, we're told this, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all. Here is this final priest, the great high priest, and the sacrifice that he offered was himself, and he did that once for all when he offered up himself. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So the writer of Hebrews is insistent on you understanding, here is the high priest, here is the one that uh, the, all that priesthood and sacrificial system and all that uh, uh, temple worship, all that was pointing forward to this one, this high priest. And then also in the New Testament, we see him as the, the king, Christ the king. He is that child who was born to us. He is that son who was given to us that Isaiah spoke of on whose shoulders the government rested. That's who he, when he came, that's who he, he, uh, he was and is. In fact, we see this. This is what was told Mary prior to his birth. This is in Luke chapter 1. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and his name, sh- and name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That means he's going to be the king. He's going to to be on the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. All these are 
references to the fact that he's a king. He has a kingdom. He has a throne. He's reigning. So, he is the one, that coming king, that was prophesied uh, all those years ago in the Old Testament. And then, 30 years later, as he went out on his own uh, ministry... That's what he went out saying. He, he went about announcing the establishment of his kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. And then, as you see, his life go on and come to the time of the, the trial and crucifixion when he's questioned by Pilate about being the king of the Jews. Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate, I mean, Pilate picked up on that. He said, therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a king. You don't understand it, Pilate. Because my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. But I'm a king. Well, a few hours later, probably to mock both Christ and the Jewish people, Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on top of the cross. And it said this, Jesus, the Nazarene king of the Jews. And I think really that it's a very telling thing that at the time of the crucifixion, Jesus was mocked precisely in these three offices as being a prophet, priest, and king. They mocked him in each of those three offices. Let me just point these out to you. As a prophet, we see in Luke 22, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? So here they are, mocking him as a prophet, blindfolding him, striking him, hitting him, and then saying, Okay, if you're such a great prophet, who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. So they mocked him as a prophet. And then they mocked him as a priest. We see in Mark chapter 15, there he is on the cross, offering himself up as a sacrificial lamb, the sinner's substitute, the one who could save them from their sins. And yet, they were mocking him in that very capacity. Here's what we're told in, in Mark. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ha! You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. In other words, what they were saying basically is, How can you help anyone? You can't even save yourself. But they were mocking him, you see, in this very capacity of being the Lamb of God. He trusted in God that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him if he delights in him. That's what they were saying. If, 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 uh, well, let's look at one verse on this. Back in Isaiah chapter 53. 
verse 7 and 8. Isaiah 53, of course, this is the great Old Testament account of the crucifixion, prophetic account of what Christ was doing there on the cross. But in Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his, open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, those people that are standing right there at the cross, as for, for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? In other words, he, he, right then he was acting as the prophet, I mean as the priest for them, the lamb, the high, the high priest and the sacrifice himself. But who considered it? They didn't understand. They didn't see. They, in fact, they were mocking him in that very capacity. And yet, you know, isn't it an amazing thing? Even as they were hurling abuse at him, he was offering intercession for them. He was taking that position right then of interceding for them as a, as a priest would do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So, here at the crucifixion, mocked as a prophet, mocked as a priest, and then particularly mocked as a king. This is in Mark 15. The soldiers took him away into the palace, and they called together the whole Roman cohort, and they dressed him up in purple. Why'd they put him in purple? Because purple was the color of royalty, and they wanted to mock him as a king. They dressed him up in purple, and after trysting a crown of thorns, why, why a crown of thorns? Because they wanted to mock him as a king. They made it into a crown, except it was a crown of thorns. And they put it on him and began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. Why were they doing that? Because they were mocking him as a king. You bow before a king. Well, they were mocking him in that capacity. Kneeling and bowing before him. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him. And they led him away to be crucified. So mocked in these three offices that he was fulfilling, prophet, priest, and king. All this happened in the time of his humiliation. And that time of humiliation continued until they put his lifeless body in the grave. But things were about to change. Three days later, as the song says, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He went from humiliation to exaltation. Now God was highly exalting him. From the, from the time of the resurrection onward, he's in this position of exaltation. God was highly exalting him and bestowing on him the name that is above every name. Now in heaven exalted high. We sing that also. Now in, in heaven exalted high, he continues to carry on this work of being a prophet, priest, and king. The great prophet, priest, and king. Right now, you see, he is our prophet. He continues to speak for God to men through the Holy Spirit. 
He speaks through the inspired scriptures, through the preaching of the word of God, through making his truth come home to our hearts. Hopefully he's speaking to some of us today, right now as a prophet. Making the word of God come home to our hearts and by guiding his church. So he continues right now to be the light of men. In the book of Revelation, we see him in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which are the seven churches. And this is what he's saying. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In other words, he's speaking right now to the churches all around the world. He's their prophet right now, the prophet to his people. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He's still calling his church to repentance and faith and perseverance. He's still comforting and strengthening his persecuted people. Right now, you see, he is the great prophet. He also continues to be our great high priest. He is right now making intercession for us, pleading the merits of his death. He died once for all, but that he, he continues to plead the merits of his death before the throne of God. We're told this in, in Romans chapter 8. Christ Jesus, who died, yes, rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. That's why we don't need any priests today. We have a great high priest, the great high priest. As Paul says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We have our high priest. That's why we should should never pray to some saint or even to Mary. Christ is our high priest right now. Uh, Hebrews, again, chapter 7, Hebrews. Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's the, the risen Savior. He's the, the high priest that always lives to make intercession for them. He continues, you see, to be a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He's continually presenting his completed sacrifice to the Father as a sufficient basis for pardoning and sanctifying grace of God. It's his work as our high priest, that even makes our prayers and our service acceptable to God. We could not bring our prayers or our service to God, but he continually makes those things acceptable as our high priest. So he's right now our prophet, our priest, and what about this office of king? After the resurrection, he told his followers, that all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. Why do he say that? Because he was a king. He's been installed. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We're told that he is now exalted at the right hand of God in the position of authority and he's upholding all things by the word of his power. He's doing that as our king right now. He is actively ruling and governing all things for the glory of God and the proper advancement of his divine plan. In other words, the reins of government over his church and over the universe are in his hands. Again, we see in the book of Revelation, we see him as the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
and as the one who has the title of being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's sovereign. He's the sovereign king over time and over nature and over nations and world events. I was thinking of this psalm too this morning. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. We don't want anything to do with God. We'll, we'll run our own lives. We'll take care of this world. What's God's response to that? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, God said, I have installed my king. My king's been installed upon Zion, my holy mountain. goes on to say, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. In other words, he's king. You can make all your confederations and uh, alliances that you want to against the Lord. They're not going to stand. He is the king of glory. So he's the conqueror. He's the righteous ruler of all creation. He's the protector of his people. That humiliation that he went through for 33 years was temporary. His exaltation is permanent. And it's true. People, like referred to there in Psalm, the second Psalm, they take their stand against him. And people still mock him today, denying that he is their prophet, priest, and king. But that's the most foolish and sinful thing you could possibly do. Without him as a prophet, you don't have any light. We need him to reveal God's truth to us. Without him as a priest, you don't have any forgiveness. We need him to take away our, the guilt of our sins and to intercede for us. Without him as a king, you have no one to righteously rule over you. There will be somebody rule over you, but it won't be the righteous king. If you do not accept him, acknowledge him as the king. You have no one to righteously rule over you and protect you. We need him as our Lord, if we are ever to arrive safely in his heavenly kingdom. We all, every one of us, you and I, all desperately need him as our prophet, priest, and king. So that's the question for us today. Is he your prophet, priest, and king? Is he my prophet, priest, and king? Well, you may not accept him as a prophet or a priest, but I can guarantee you this. He is your king. He's going to rule and reign. And someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father.
but you don't want to meet him that way. You want to meet him right now and acknowledge him right now as your prophet and your priest. We have that opportunity, each one of us today, to bow before this one who is the great prophet, priest, and king. <laughs>